Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. What is crackalackin'? My name is Declan Ferber-Gillick and um, you're tuned into 102.7 FM, 3RRR or uh, streaming online. Uh, maybe you're listening to this as a podcast. Who knows, however you get in the media, but um, we out here making the media. Um like to acknowledge before I get too far ahead of myself that uh, I'm living and working broadcasting here on Rundry Country. Uh, and specifically on the Bunurong and Woiwurrung language groups, homelands, and um, as an Aranda man living away from home, I um, I bear that in mind continuously and work to uh, contribute to local community culture here and um, am very privileged and blessed to be able to live here and um, share in the, in the culture and community of this country and uh, give my respects to um, the ancestors of this country and the emerging leaders, um, big shout-outs to all Koori mob listening, big shout-outs to blackfellas all around the country, uh, and big shout-out to my, um, my, all my different families up around Central Australia, Central Aranda uh, country, and living down there in Adelaide and um, living all over the place, really. So big shout-out wherever you're listening. I know I've had a few people tuning in over the last few weeks. Um, I've been filling in for Daniel James, so shout out to Daniel. He's been um, he's been doing brekkie lately here on Triple R. So maybe some listeners have heard him there. Um, he's a he's a versatile man. Um, and this is my last fill. This is my last of three fills um, until further notice. You might hear me back on the three Triple R airwaves doing something or other uh, in the next little while. But this will be my um, this will be my last fill for the mission. So. Um, yeah, it's been really good, and thank you for tuning in again. Um, and it's lovely to have your company. I've uh, got an exciting show today. I'm going to be with you till uh, 8 p.m., and uh, I'm going to have on Narita Waite, who was actually on last week, but I'm going to have her on uh, in a different capacity, speaking on different issues. Uh, and for those who don't remember or didn't tune in, Narita is the CEO of Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and co-chair of NATSALS, the National Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Legal Service. And we're going to have her on uh, discussing the Coalition of Peaks, which is um, a, a coalition of um, Aboriginal organisations um, that um, work uh, alongside and with uh, government to um, develop the Close the Gap strategy um, with relation to um, Aboriginal public health in this country. So we're going to have a bit of a yarn with her about their new uh, website and social media campaign um, and some of the stuff that Close the Gap uh, are up to. And I'm also very excited in the second half of the show to have Mariki Onus on from um, Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, also known as WAR. Um, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will be familiar with WAR. Um, they've been organising um, in Melbourne, but also um, around Australia. I know they've got a big presence up in Brizzy as well with the Brisbane Blacks, um, and they've been leading recent Black Lives Matter movement and campaigns uh, to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody and to stop um, police brutality. Uh, and so it's been a really big fortnight for WAR and for Mariki, and... Um, 
we're going to have a yarn with her just about about how that's been, um, about the different campaigns and sort of just about this moment in history um, and the other campaigns that, that war um, have been leading here. And just a little bit of a chat about um, how it's been personally lately because, um, yeah, it's been really hectic and um, a lot of people have been feeling it, including myself. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, really, um, I'm really pleased to be bringing you some media. Thanks for tuning in. You're on the mission. My name's Declan Ferbergillick. Keep it locked. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. The Coalition of Peaks is a representative body of around 50 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community-controlled peak organisations and members. The Coalition of Peaks came together on their own as an act of self-determination to be formal partners with Australian governments on closing the gap. Uh, The Coalition has recently launched a new website and social media campaign to engage Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities on the Closing the Gap movement. Uh, Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service are a member organisation of the Coalition and Narita Waite is that organisation's CEO as well as being co-chair of NATSILS, the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service alongside uh, Cheryl Axelby. Uh, who we were going to speak to tonight, but who we couldn't speak to. So we have uh, Narita back on the show. Welcome, Narita. How are you going? Good. Thank you, Jacqueline. Um, unfortunately, Cheryl um, is quite busy at the moment with um, the tragic incident that happened in um, South Australia. So you've got me dead um, for a little while. Um, hope listeners don't mind. No, I'm, I'm personally very glad to have you back. Um, so, yeah, thanks for checking in. And, it, and and it's really interesting to, you know, I think it's interesting for listeners to see, um, you know, the amount of different, the sort of different responsibilities that, um, you know, leaders like yourself have. So um, it's really great to have you on in, in this um, different but very related capacity. Yeah, no, um, we do hold multiple hats. Um, and Coalition Peaks um, is one of our important ones because it really was born out of frustration with the consultation process for closing the gap, Refresh, which was started in 2016, um, you know, four years ago now, which was not being done in any meaningful way. And Natsal was a founding member of that in 2018. Um, and the PM met with um, the Coalition of Peaks and the new process began, uh, which we've been working for quite some time now. And, and what is your role and and the and your organisations um, both as um, with with VALS but also with Natsals? What's the role of those organisations within the coalition? And what's the role of Aboriginal community uh, community organisations more broadly um, in that movement? Um, so Natsals, which is the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services, um, have a series of members um, which are the local Natsals in each of the states and territories. And VALS is one of those. Um, as one of the co-chairs alongside Cheryl Axelby, um, it's my role to um, assist uh, with the Natsals projects and their engagement with Coalition of Peaks. Um, Cheryl uh, thankfully takes on um, a lot of the Coalition of Peaks work, but um, when she's otherwise engaged, um, I tip my hat in the ring um, to give everybody a hand because it is a really complex process. It has been going on for some time. And, you know, in negotiating a new 10-year closing the gap agreement uh, with the Joint Council of Ministers of Indigenous Affairs um, throughout the country is difficult, it's complex, uh, but our voices are critical to ensuring that community voices are represented at the national level in these discussions to make sure there's real change for our community in the next 10 years. Um, and, and 
maybe um, just so listeners know, um, can you give us a bit of a rundown about what the closing, what closing the gap is, and and what its history is? I know you sort of touched on it, but if you can give us a little bit more on that. Yeah, sure. So the first closing the gap policy was bipartisan and signed by Australian governments in 2008 um, through the National Indigenous Reform Agreement. The initial closing the gap commitment was welcomed um, by leadership as it included a significant amount of money to implement new programs and services and was really the first time there was a nationally coordinated policy from government to address the outcomes. Um, But that was only partially implemented in some areas and stopped in others. Um, efforts from governments to work together fell away and long-term funding for programs and services weren't guaranteed or continued. And there was also no ongoing commitment to involve communities based on their own representation in decisions about how targets could be achieved. And it was always considered to be initiative of governments, which was its biggest failing um, and one that is changing under the new partnership agreement on closing the gap. Uh, the key learnings from the failed uh, initial process were and still are the driving force behind the Coalition of Peaks forming in 2008, 2018 and beginning the campaign towards refreshing the closing the gap strategy and having a new national agreement signed by the Australian government. Um, you know, one of the first major changes is that the next phase of closing the gap is being designed and developed under a formal partnership between Australian governments and, uh, and Aboriginal Strata Islander representatives through the Coalition of Peaks. And for the first time, there's a real seat at the table to negotiate with governments on the policies and programs that need to improve the life outcomes of our people and communities. And the conversation is changing because we're there, our voices are being heard, um, and governments agree to four priority reforms that are about changing the way that they work with our people to accelerate improvements. So some of those include establishing formal partnership arrangements across the country between governments and our communities and organisations for localised closing gap efforts, building and strengthening our community-controlled sector to deliver much-needed services to our people, transforming the way government agencies and institutions work so that they are culturally safe for our people and are much more accountable and contribute to closing the gap outcomes, and sharing the data information between us and governments to support their decision-making about our lives. The priority reform has been tested through a comprehensive engagement process with our communities across Australia, which was led by the Coalition of Peaks in partnership with governments, um, and they'll form the basis of the new national partnership, which will replace the current agreement of 2008, um, which was quite some time ago, 12 years um, to be exact. So we're really, really close to having a new national agreement on closing the gap sorted. The negotiations have been tough and complex, um, but all members are getting there. The draft agreement, once done, will go to Joint Council, made up of government ministers, local government and the Coalition of Peaks for its consideration. It will then go to First Ministers and the President of the Local Government Association before the end of July for their sign-off with the Coalition of Peaks. Yeah, cool. Hey, thanks for that. Um, now, I've, I've had a look on the... Um on the new Coalition of Peaks website, and I've got to say, it's pretty snazzy. Uh, it's very easy to navigate, and it's very pleasing to the eye. And there's some really great um, sort of um, short videos and 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 pieces of information that have been made into really accessible media. Um, so um, that's really great, and I really encourage people to check it out. Um, and the the website, as you as you've mentioned, um, the Coalition of Peaks have got four priority reforms. Um, that reflect the, the long-held concerns of Aboriginal communities. Can you give us a bit of a sense of how those priority reforms were developed and, and, and a bit more about what they are? Yeah, so as um, say the priority reforms were um, arised from the partnership between the government and COP um, and they responded to the voices and aspirations of our people and were overwhelmingly supported during the formal engagement in 2019. 
Um, the priority reforms also protect and support the strengthening of our culture um, through ensuring Aboriginal Islander-owned governance and decision-making structures are supported, recognising community-controlled organisations um, are an act of self-determination where Aboriginal and Torres Islander people deliver services to their communities um, based on our needs, um, our cultures and our relationship to land, um, confronting the institutional racism in government and mainstream institutions and agencies to ensure that our people can access the services they need in a culturally safe way, and also sharing data information with our people to ensure that they have more power to determine their own development. So priority reform area one is developing and strengthening the structures. Uh, priority reform two um, is around health, legal, family, children and land, which is building formal Aboriginal Islander community controlled services. Priority reform three is around... Uh, ensuring mainstream government agencies and institutions that deliver services, um, really tackle that systemic and structural transformation to contribute to the closing the gaps at hospitals, universities, police, departments. Um, Priority reform four is around ensuring that people have access to, in the case of these relevant data, um, which is really important in understanding uh, how progress is being made against the targets uh, and the localised level as well as the national and then state-based level, and also allow communities to use that to drive their own development and programs. And is that that part of that making making data and information accessible to people in the community? Is that part of what um, the coalition of Peaks is hoping to achieve with the new website and social media campaigns? Yes, they're certainly trying to um, engage community as much as possible um, and I really encourage people to go onto the site and then there's a beautiful little tab say um, Get Involved, which has a wonderful picture of the ocean at the top, um, which tells you how you um, as a person or organisation can really get involved in that community engagement and have your say. Um, so if you just scroll to the bottom, you'll see that have your say bit, um, leave your name, email address, contact number, and just give us your thoughts. It's really important that we hear from everybody um, who closed the gap or a fact. Um, and I've noticed in um, in the um, in the, in your statement and also in the um, on the website that there's there's targets and measures specifically around uh, that the coalition of peaks is proposing for stronger government accountability. Um, what are some of these, and and why and why do you, uh, why are they needed? So during the engagement led by Coalition of Peaks, um, our people told us we need to also we also need targets that look to government accountability, and we want we want to be able to track and monitor progress of governments, not just of us, uh, which is how it's been for generations. We want to know uh, what governments are doing uh, in terms of are they sticking by their word um, and their agreements? Are they doing the timeframe expected? Are they doing the way that it was expected? So we're expecting that a new national agreement will include targets that will look at government accountability on delivering against a set of priority reforms to change the way governments work with our people. Community members also told us they want to have targets on matters that are important to them uh, as people. So we're working on additional targets that go to some new areas. Um, given that they're currently under negotiation, we can't go into detail, but the Prime Minister and Minister Ken White have in the past two weeks confirmed there will be justice targets in the agreement, um, and that sort of also calls for family violence, child protection, disability and housing targets included, and, of course, the resourcing to support the systemic change that is needed um, and which all of those protests that we're seeing nationally are calling for. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think um, there's been a bit of a, you know, and I'll probably have a bit of a yarn with Mariki on about this later in the show, but there's this kind of tension arising where there seems to be this, um, you know, like a, this, a comparison or a dichotomy drawn between 
what's a public health policy and what's a what's a justice policy and um you know people talking about oh you know public health measures and um and 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 taking taking note of those but um you know as we know um policing is a public health matter for us and for our people so um yeah i'm 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 interested in in um and and maybe you know maybe you can't speak on behalf of coalition of peaks on this but what's um what's sort of your your the, the organizations that you're a part of what are your what how how do you understand policing and justice in terms of public health mm. um you know I- Again, uh, I feel like I beat, beat on about this, but um, it's important to remember that next year will be 30 years since the Royal Commission of Abductions handed down its findings. Um, and the Royal Commission was meant to put an end to black deaths in custody, but the Commission's findings are still gathering dust, and over 437 have died in police or prison cells since. That means, on average, one Aboriginal Australian Islander person has died in police or prison custody every three weeks for 29 years, most of my life. Hundreds of families have been left behind in grief, agony, and despair since the Royal Commission. Um, we acknowledge that targets alone will not drive change, and there has to be a real systemic change to end the injustices our community face in the justice system and to end black deaths in custody. Um, we have to. We need to see immediate change um, to, the, to the systems that underpin um, our everyday interactions with justice systems, uh, with departmental authorities to reimagine our justice system, to fund fully and sufficiently solutions that save lives like our CNS, to implement record and over-policing, eradicate police violence and racism, engage in decarceration strategies like serious investment in public housing and culturally safe family violence, family legal supports, and solutions like justice reinvestment and raising the age of criminal responsibility. That's where we're going to actually see change um, in the interactions between Aboriginal people and justice system, but also reducing the reason why we're all um, in a mode of despair um, every three weeks, because we won't then lose Aboriginal lives in police or prison cells. Um, and certainly a lot of the targets that go towards health, housing, education contribute to that, but unless you change the justice system itself, you won't see change in those areas. And hundreds of thousands... Um, marched across the country and since then in the last two weeks we've only seen more police violence and more black deaths in custody. Only today we saw footage of a horrific incident in South Australia where an Aboriginal man was arrested and sustained injuries after having three police officers on top of him and force being used on him. He was released without charges which raises concerns of racial profiling. Why was he pulled over in the first place on his bicycle? Uh, the federal government has failed to hear, hear our calls and failed to show leadership on justice and ending black, in custody, black deaths in custody time and time again. There cannot be any more excuses for the lack of leadership from the federal government and state governments on black deaths in custody and police violence in this country. Narita, what, what's, um, what's, uh, you know, what's the vision or what's the ideal kind of path that you can see closing the gap walking in the next, say, five to ten years? Uh, certainly we would want to continue our negotiation process um, and work towards meaningful targets that will contribute positively to our communities. Um, but also, you know, it's just close the gap will set out the framework um, and the base. It's on state and federal government to go beyond this um, and to really work towards making a better future that is just and equitable for our people so that you know, my child doesn't grow up um, in a society where 
every three were, every three weeks an Aboriginal uh, person will die in custody or in police custody, police or prison custody, um, where you know he will have his mum um, for many, many, many years to come, and I'll be able to see my grandchildren, uh, where he'll be able to see you know the people that he um, goes through his early childcare centre, Baba Wilwon with. You'll see those Aboriginal kids. Um, walk alongside him in education, in housing, um, in employment, and they really will have the future that, you know, back um, generations ago was fought for. Um, it's really disheartening um, that we are where we are today, but I have hope um, that we can progress um, and make great strides as long as um, mainstream Australia continues to support our cause. Narita, thanks so much for calling in again. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and, um, yeah, look after yourself and take care, eh? You too, Declan. Bye. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Now, Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, or WAR as they're known, is a collective of young Aboriginal people committed to the cause of decolonisation and the philosophy of Aboriginal nationalism, resistance, and revival. Uh, They've been organising and facilitating recent Black Lives Matter and Aboriginal deaths in custody protests in Australia, Um, but they've been organising and and progressing a radical black movement in Australia for, I think, about 10 years. Uh, I'm going to check with Mariki in a second, but no doubt a lot of listeners are familiar with their work and attended the rally uh, that they called last weekend in Melbourne. Uh, I have on the line Mariki Onus, who is a Gunai and Gunnachmara woman from Bang Yanda and is co-founder of Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance and one of their core organisers. Uh, welcome to the mission, Mariki. How are you going? Hey, Declan. I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. If I got that right, is um is War about is about ten years old as an organisation? No, it's about six years old in November. Okay. Okay. Cool. It was launched at the G20 in um it would be G20 2014. Could that be right? Yeah, that would be six years ago. Well, that's that's when I first heard of um, heard of war. But I thought I'd come to the party late. But I thought, uh, but maybe I maybe I um, heard of them around about when they formed. So that's good. I haven't missed too much. No, and it's just like as soon as we like started doing work, it just like there was no quiet time. It just went went big straight away. Like there was no build up. Well, not I mean you know like our first protest here. It was insane, and we had no idea that that many people would just turn out so quickly. So, yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it. I mean, every time you guys call something and 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 organise it, it's always like um, there's this swell and there's this pressure and something simmering. And you know, like you guys are, are the ones that tap into and organise and focus that energy. And um, yeah, it just gets. It just anyone who's been to a to something you guys have facilitated just know that it gets it gets bigger and bigger. And there's more. It gets more potent and there's more passion and there's more there's more substance to it every time. It's um it's quite a powerful place to be. And I know the people who went to the to the um to the rally last weekend. Some of them said it was one of the most powerful things they'd ever been to. Wow, that's yeah. I think it's we have this. In, amazing ability um, to just capture the moment, you know it's never really us, it's just around the moment and it's it's so many different factors that we just manage to capture and just um, take advantage of and and pull something out for Melbourne and Brisbane 
Yeah, I um I know that um I know that there's a, a strong war presence up in Brizzy. Um, have you have you do you travel up there much? And have you have you got family and mob up there that you um are in a lot of contact with? I actually don't have any family from Queensland. All my mob are just Victorian um, mobs, but we so. The, the concept of war came from Brisbane and Brizzy Mob, and it was like the, it was like an idea for a national youth movement um, from Mob up there. And then I was kind of recruited in, and we um, we we just put the that we just grew the idea of an organisation of a youth movement, and and so I come in a bit later, and then it was officially launched at the G20. Um, yeah, and that's how it just happened, and we were actually connected. Like, I mean, our families have been connected for many years, but it just ebbs and flows. And so I didn't have any personal contacts, but my mum knows a lot of activists up there, and so does my grandmother. But, yeah, this um, First Nations fella from Turtle Island just said, oh, you need to talk to these Brizzy mob. They're like-minded. And then he put us in contact with... put me in contact with these young fellas um, building this youth movement, and that's sort of... that's how I came along. So, Yeah. And is it still is it still accurate to call it a youth movement? I know there's a lot of people involved. Is it still is it still youth led? And is it you know is the membership um, you know what's the sort of average age of your membership? Because I know that there's a lot of different um, you know elders that um, really support and are at a lot of movements. So yeah, what's the kind of makeup of war now? Uh, like so, it's probably people in their thirties and their twenties. And a good mix of people in their thirties and twenties. It wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, like I would say, between twenty-five and thirty-five are the median age now. Which you know, it's probably not youth. It's it's getting on, but you know, that's the task that we have is to um, keep keep the um, keep ourselves relevant and keep it um, keep the movement in the hands of the youth. And I think there's a tenacity that young people can bring to a movement that we just. Um, we lose as we get older and I think it's got to be guided by the old, older followers and, and guided by the experience you know Gary Foley is a big um, uh, a big mentor of ours like he's always on the phone and he's always like giving us advice about his learnings from his experience so um, our movement didn't just come from us it was grown from many other different movements around the, around the world but particularly with the, the work our mob did here you know, especially in Victoria, for us, like, we wouldn't have had the successes we've had or we wouldn't have had the reach that we've had without the, the, the work of Uncle Robbie Thorpe or um, Gary Foley and, and the networks he's built with allies. And, you know, so um, this movement is just as much as our old people as it is the young people. It's just that we carry it in a different way. And so, yeah, the membership is, yeah, 30s and 20s. Yeah, I think, and I, I really agree. There's that sense of like, um, you don't you don't necessarily lose. You know, I don't think we lose our principles or our values or our radical um, mindset as we get older. But like you say, there's that there's that fiery young tenacity which um, really is um, it really kind of burns bright from your teens through your twenties, and then you know there's different roles as you get older and you know having having Gary on last week there's you know he's very much still is out there fighting the fight but he's um mm-hmm. you know older people have got that that perspective and that strategy where they're maybe lacking um you know some of the muscle power and some of the stamina to um to lead to lead in the street and to rally and to do the endless phone calls and that kind of thing so yeah you got to really have um you got to have the youth you got to have the youth horsepower um bridled by the um the perspective of the elders eh Yes, absolutely agree. 
and it's all about learning from their perspective. Um, and I want to just raise there that what you said about um, you know linked to movements around the world, and I know that Gary in particular learned a lot from um, Black Power movements in the US, and we talked a little bit about that last week. But um, I want to just you know throw it to you to talk about what everyone is sort of um, becoming more and more aware of, which is the link between um, BLM, Black Lives Matter, and um, our campaign to end black deaths in custody and our, and, our, and our own campaigns for black power and black justice in this country. Um, and just want to throw to you to, to talk a little bit about your perspective and War's perspective on um, what those links are and what we can learn and, and, um, and where that movement's going. So, you know, our links have been connected for a very long time, long before Black Lives Matter or before war, even before the Black Panther Party came along. Um, and both Black Panther Party live, is, was here in, the, in Australia as well. And um, what's his name? Oh, my God. He, he was, um, he'd passed away recently. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's, it's lost me, but it will come to me. Um, he, he was in the Black Panther the Black Panthers in in Sydney, and Gary was telling me a story the other day about about him. But I guess that's a different story. But I think our our movements are linked in the way that we're racialized by by being black, by white supremacy, and I think that that's um, a commonality that we have in. And, and and I don't think it's exactly the same, but there there are links and there's a commonality. And I think it's a zero-sum game to say that we're exactly the same and you can just get continually lost to say that we're not like them and all whatnot. But there are certainly um, links in the way that um, that we are a, treated and in the way that we can fight back and I think that we can draw on those strengths. Um, and, you know, I think when, when a lot of our community members saw what happened to George Floyd, but, you know, I might have been watching what's going on over there, you know, from Mike Brown. Uh, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, um, and you know a lot of other the other deaths that have happened there, and they are the US is a bit of the cultural hub because of their control of media, and so we're watching what's happened, and it's it definitely hit a chord here, especially with a lot of um, mob that have lost family members to death in custody, um, and so that's why we thought it was important to do a solidarity march for George Floyd. And, but also talk about black deaths in custody here because our people die at the hands of racist systems in a very similar, in very much the same way with dehumanised um, by um, anti-black racism um, and also, um, and also um, anti-Indigenous racism, which is a little bit different. But um, there are very, very similar stories around the world. You know, I was reading an article last night about the deaths in custody in the UK and... Um, you know, I think that this is kind of, um, it's linked a lot of our movements together. I think a lot of our peoples across the world, uh, whether you're, in, you know, whether you're black, indigenous or, um, or, or, or you're from uh, West Papua or, um, but I think we have all been fighting our own fight, but it's never really been linked in such a way. And the conversation around system racism is different. But I wanted to make a point, you know, Gary Foley told us a story and he is really someone that we look up to. Um, which kind of really amazed me, um, and I don't know, I can't recall specific dates, but I know a story about when the um, African-American sailors used to come into the docks in Sydney, they they would bring, um, they brought in um, this, this the word of um, Marcus Garvey, so black nationalism, and that that there was Bill Onus working in the docks and there was another Onus fella 
uh, working in the docks then, and then that's when um, you know self that the self determination movement was born out of that. So there was the I think that was um, the the older fellows like Bill Onus and that they they said that you know we're not African black, we're different black, but we are black, so we're going to make our own um, Aboriginal association um, with the principles of black nationalism, and then that's the that was kind of the birth of um, how self-determination started in Australia and um, in, in our communities. So our struggles have been linked for a really long time and I think that this is a continuum of that um, and that, you know, our solidarity and our, our similarities to how we're treated to uh, as African-American people but also um, we have a very similar experience to Native American people. Um, so I think that, you know, I think our fight... We have to unite in our fight against white supremacy and we have to talk, we have to centre those most impacted. So that's usually black and indigenous peoples and families that have lost people at the hands of death in custody in particular. In answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, no, great answer. And I, and I wanted to pick up a little bit on that idea of black nationalism because, um, you know, a lot of listeners um, will be familiar with the work of, of Malcolm X. And I was reading a lot of Malcolm and listening to a lot of his stuff last year. And I've actually been a bit surprised that there hasn't been more of his media and literature and, and speech um, shared in the last few weeks. But that's sort of another matter. But I wanted to just pick up on that idea that, you know, that he says in one of his speeches that, at the at the at the core of black nationalism and at the core of any kind of revolutionary movement is um, is a struggle for land, um, and I think oh. that um, whether that's you know because he was interested throughout his work um, at different times he was progressing this sense of a black nation that um, that held and defended and utilized land and resources and mm-hmm. that's you know that's that's been the struggle for Aboriginal people in this country and First Nations people in the US and around the world is that it fundamentally comes down to who controls land and you know the the core wound that um, at the at the outset of of the nation that um, occupies our country here is that um, we've had our land um, taken so I just I think that that I think that that link, whether it's you know whether whether we're talking about people with black skin or whether we're talking about people of a black of a black um, cultural heritage, um, there's there's this sense of nationalism that comes from um, to build power and to build an identity and to build um, solidarity. There there's got to be there's got to be land and country as a as a central focus of what the movement's about. Yes. And and yeah, I wanted to ask white supremacy. Like it has to be against white. That's a focal point as well. That white supremacy is a, is um is a form of violence against black and brown bodies, and that and that's got to be acknowledged as well. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about um, pay pay the rent, which is. Um, which is uh, a campaign or a movement or an initiative um, that's probably a few people have heard of. Um, but what for you? What what does pay the rent mean um, with relation? In, you know, linking with you know, if we're if we're talking about land and we're talking about white supremacy and occupation in this country, what does what's pay the rent mean for you? I think like so pay the rent. Like I'm not. I've, I've sort of. It's not actually. It's not attached to war, but um, it's an initiative that Uncle Rob. Thought kind of um, held, but I think it came from. Um, I could be wrong, and I'll stand corrected if I am. But um, Uncle Bruce McGuinness, um, and he's an old Aboriginal activist and very respected. Some people would call him his say that he's the godfather of self determination in Victoria. 
Um, he came up with the concept because it doesn't come... So it's a way of getting resources for our mob to organise that doesn't come with the attachment of government funding or charity. It's not charity. Um, it's an exchange um, to... Um, it's, it's an exchange, and I'm still learning about it, but to me I think it's, it's an exchange for... That, that the right privilege that we don't get and it's that, that's kind of something that we could use to organise ourselves a bit further out of the situation that we're in, um, outside of asking for any kind of charity. A GoFundMe doesn't go far enough. Um, this is something that we need to use to organise um, and to take care of our people on our own outside of government um, agendas. So I think, you know, I really believe in it, you know, and I, I was a bit sceptical in the beginning because, you know, I think these things have to be um, set up. But actually, I looked a little bit more and I did my own research and I absolutely believe that this is something that um, that that will be really useful to our mob going forward. Um, and I'm really excited to see what comes from it. I don't know, already it's had a huge impact on certain community members' um, lives, so it's been good. Yeah, I um. So I encourage anyone to you know make a contribution to the pay the rent campaign or pay the rent to a grassroots community initiative. And my suggestion is to a grass to a community initiative that doesn't have institutional contributions like government funding. And one in your local area, and I think that you know central to central to the way we understand our political and cultural movements in this country is that um, you know people should be looking to. The local read. If they want to, if they want to help out, they want to get involved. They want to understand. The first thing to do is look at where's your what, what's the local Aboriginal grassroots co-op doing? What are people actually doing on the ground? What are what are the elders there actually asking for? And I think that exactly. that that sense of localization is really core to um, to you know to black development in this country. I absolutely agree, and you know that's why I think um, I, I I do I find it you know and I think it's good that everybody is conscious and stands up. But, you know, the best way that you can show solidarity to international acts of white supremacy is to disempower Australia as a white supremacist country by destroying it where you stand. Like, that's, that's the best way to destroy the global power of white supremacy because it is a global power and it functions in that way. So, you know, I think that's the best way to show solidarity. Hey, I wanted to ask you a little bit, um, just a little bit now about the, just how it's been for you and, and you know, your close comrades and, and, and the mob who you organise with, because it's the last few weeks have been um, a really hard time and I've had a really up and down emotional time and um, I chatted to you a little bit on the weekend about that and, and um, you know, some of the, um, some of the, some of the people that you organise, organise the rally with not being able to come to the rally because it's been such a, such a traumatic time and um, just, just wanted to ask you personally about how how you are and um and yeah just just um just you know what kind of support you're getting and um and just how you're looking after yourself at this difficult time it's 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 not easy you know i i've got a lot going on in my personal space and i've had to cut other things down and you know i'm doing a lot better personally but you know we've had three suicides from the community that i that i come from in gippsland and um, that was literally in the span of nine days over the whole Black Lives Matter movement uprising. So, um, you know, that really, that's a real, um, that's a real, and I don't know how to put this in words, and, and I, you know, I can talk about this in, in, a, in a way that I am because of all the self-care that I do, but it's actually really quite painful. And I was talking to another brother 
from Gippsland today and we're just shocked at how many of our mob, especially from Gippsland, are taking their own lives and it's just not talked about. There's no one talking about it. So it's very traumatic. It's traumatic that I see my own bloodline and my own mob and my own people um, can't find their own way in this world or this world just wasn't good enough to hold them, that they had to take their own life out of this. They just had to leave. So that's really hurtful and I... um, there's a lot of pain in that. But that also drives me to do the work that I do. Like, I think about my mob and where I come from. You know, when I say in my bio that I grew up in Banyanda, that, because that, that forms the basis of who I am. Like, that's a small Aboriginal community. Um, and that, you know, that my community, my experience, that really drives my me to move forward. But it, I have to take care of myself. And, you know, over the last couple of years, I've learned how to say no and prioritise certain things and... Like, I run and take care of my health and all of that, but it's just not that easy sometimes. You know, that whole week, you just I just couldn't get out of bed, couldn't cook and all that sort of stuff, and I just know our mob are going through it too, and I just... We have to be kind to each other and take care of each other and take care of ourselves, and, you know... Um, and I know that a lot of people, mental our mental health is, you know, a bit vulnerable at the moment, but just keep in mind that... We're okay and we're doing our best that we can. So, you know, try and just pull through. But that's what we just have to keep telling ourselves. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I've got a really good group. You know, in war, we've got a really good, strong um, group of Aboriginal women that are leading it. And I absolutely trust every single one of them. And I would not be able to do this work without that backstop and the strength of my family and the strength of my friends external from war. Like, you just can't do that without that support, the community support that you have. It's really integral, and the self-care is so important. I was um, I was actually reading, I watched a lecture last year with um, Annie Judy Atkinson, um, and she's done a lot of, like, a lot of um, research and scholarly kind of publica- publications and talking about, um, you know, the specific grief and the specific traumas that we live with in our communities as, as colonised people. And she had this really beautiful, quite simple metaphor where there's this tree and, um, and you know, the, the, the roots of the tree and the leaves of the tree and up in the leaves you have what you might call your community of practice. And I realised as I was listening to her talk that I had this really strong practice where I was making and doing and I was, you know, campaigning or teaching or doing, you know, doing my practice, making my contribution. But she talked about... If you can't have a consistent community of practice and you can't have a consistent practice unless you have a community of care and the community of care is the roots and if you don't have the roots grounded, um, you can only do your practice for so long and at that time I was really ungrounded. Like I was, I'd been moving house a lot and I didn't have a strong community. I didn't have a really a home that I liked being in and I saw that lecture and I was like, I can't practice anymore until I have a community of care. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's integral and it's... You know, and it's okay to take that step away until you get all of your ducks aligned in the back. Um, and they take care of those roots and grow them and, and invest in them and then get back out there and do the work because it's it's toxic. You become toxic if you're not checking yourself and um, and sometimes you're not great for the movement. And I've had my moments and we've all organised and we've all done things. Um, you know, none of us are paid activists and none of that. So, you know... There's moments where we have to say, I'm going to take a step back because I'm not sure if my contribution, and I'm, this is specifically talking about myself, I'm not sure if I'm useful in this way and I need to fix that and then I can come back. You know, and that's okay to step away, but it's hard for some people to realise that too. 
Hey, um, Mariki, it's been an absolute pleasure and, um, yeah, really beautiful to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Declan. Hey, I'll speak to you next time, Mariki. Take care and, um, yeah. Thanks, Declan. Keep the fire going. Big love. Yeah, no worries. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>